Growing your business is tough, but don't worry, we've got you covered. We interview industry experts on how they've solved their most challenging business problems in SaaS or e-commerce. No fluff, just step-by-step playbooks to help you dominate your market and crush the competition. This is the How We Solve podcast. Here's your host. Welcome to another episode of the How We Solve podcast. And today I have the pleasure to interview Dov Gordon. Dov helps entrepreneurs, coaches, and consultants to develop a consistent flow of their ideal clients. He's the founder of ProfitableRelationships.com, and he also hosts the JVMM, which stands for Joint Venture Mastermind, which I'm also a part of, which is really an awesome group of coaches and entrepreneurs, and I'm getting a lot of value out of it, and I'm super stoked to have that on the call today. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Do you want to give a little bit more of an elevator pitch on what you do, you know, fill in some color? What I do mostly is help uh, consultants, experts, professional service firms for the most part, although they, I'm sure that what we'll be talking about applies much more broadly than that. Looking for good challenges to help people apply it. So uh, who knows? We help them to become what I think of as under the radar leaders in their industry. As a result of that, they find that it's uh, much easier to create a consistent flow of ideal clients. And we can certainly go deeper in that, the under the radar part. Cool. Yeah, it's drilling. And the problem that we're solving today is how to build a community similar to JVMM, you call it an alchemy network. I guess the problem is, is really, it really comes from the simple fact that there are a lot of people out there who are really good at what they do. They genuinely care about their ideal clients. They have a lot to offer, but they're not natural showmen. They're not somebody who is, wants to be posting on Facebook and Instagram five times a day. They're, not, they're also not necessarily interested in having other people do it for them beyond a certain level they're okay with. Because the, what they really love is they just, they, they want, they enjoy the one-to-one experience large, you know, that's really where they shine. And most of their business comes from referrals or relationships that cropped up from something that they did. And this applies even to larger firms, you know, people who are charged with business development at a law, a law firm or a consulting firm. Or, a lot of that has to do with relationships. The problem is that referrals are inconsistent for the most part. And relationships, to, there's, it, you know, it takes a lot of time. It's very hard to leverage them. So what I've figured out quite by accident when I started my own network, uh, my first network, and I'll have two, the, the one you refer to, JVMM, over about 10 years ago, I think, maybe a little more, was I just discovered what a, a way to become what I think of as an under-the-radar leader in your industry and then leverage that to become, to, you know, to create your own consistent flow of ideal clients. So that's the problem. The problem is that not everybody wants to be a uh, public-facing guru. Not everybody wants to be a content marketing machine or a Facebook ads ninja or that type of thing. They need to know that there are some really good, solid alternatives, including building what I call an alchemy network, which is actually a way to turn a lot of the so-called relationship marketing, which many people are doing already for free, turn that into a profit center, revenue source. Is that a problem that you see? I don't see it as a problem. I see it as a huge opportunity. Also, in I'm also not a natural showman. I'm I'm a recovering introvert. You know, so kind of like posting five times a day on on social media is something that makes me cringe. I push myself to post from time to time, but you know, it's it's just not my natural thing. But I'm big on relationships. I'm built on big on helping people. I'm big on connecting with people, and um, I like the one-on-one or the you know small groups like you know mastermind type things. And this has been driving a lot of business for, for all of my portfolio companies. I you know, kind of building these key relationships with, with other people. And you know, being part of your JVMM is also shows you know, how much value I'm personally getting out of it. And when you're at the helm of something, you know, kind of like in JVMM, 
if you run the event, everybody knows you, right? Versus like if you participate, you know, a few people know you or know of you and you'll benefit. But if you just organize it, you get the majority of the, the harvest, you know, so. I think of owning the network as kind of like owning a casino. The house always has an advantage. And that's one of the, the reasons that I really recommend that people build an alchemy network. But those for whom it's a good fit, it's not for everybody. Sometimes it's not a personality fit. Sometimes it's not a business fit. And um, But really, yeah, you're absolutely right. There is an advantage. Although I'll say that I make a concerted effort as the leader of these of this, of these two networks. The other one I call the Under the Radar Industry Leader, or the Under the Radar Leaders Network, which is uh, for consultants who are leveraging this type of strategy. As the leader, I make conscious efforts in a consistent and systematic way to introduce all the members to each other, to to get you to have conversations with with more members, because there's two points of value that make a network really valuable. There's a it's curation and conversation. People will come into the network and pay an annual membership fee if they know that it is curated, so that the others are people precisely the people that they really do want to be talking with and having more conversations with. And conversations is the second point of value, which is that. When you bring good people together and they're having conversations, it leads to good things. So I know that I could do the job of curating and I, you know, I turn people away. I don't accept everybody. Uh, we're always welcoming new people, always looking for new people, but we don't take anybody who's not a good fit. We really don't. I, I've turned somebody away recently who's probably worth $100 million. We can t- tell that story if you want. And conversation, though... Obviously, that's uh, that's up to members as well. But I've figured out some ways of making that happen more, you know, making that more likely and as much as possible in more leveraged ways. That's awesome. So let's let's drill in and tell the audience how you can actually build your own Hackme network. What's the first step in terms of solving this? So first step is to design it. I'll just mention the the four main steps so we can people have a context and we can go as far uh, in each of them as we have time for. The overall is design it. You've got to design it, and then you got to launch it, and then lead it, and then leverage it slash monetize it, okay? So design it. You have to work backwards from your your business. What are you trying to accomplish? Some people have approached me essentially asking, hey, I'll say this a little bit. It may not sound so nice, but I don't mean to be judgmental or nasty about it. But essentially, they're saying, look, I, I haven't succeeded at selling my expertise really to any level. You know, I've been trying to sell my coaching consulting. I'm not getting anywhere. So maybe if I form a network, maybe that's what will help. And they may want to start with a free network, maybe. And even then, I'm not sure they're going to be able to attract the, the people that they want. Because this is not a substitute for somebody who hasn't yet learned to sell. You have to be able to close a deal. You know, Because again, we're looking at part of a business model. That means that you have one of those typical product or service pyramids where at, at the base you have your free or lower level, lower price, and at the peak you have your most expensive offers. So if you're a solo, maybe you have uh, two or three things on that pyramid. If you're a larger firm, maybe you have many more. We want to look at your business model and ask ourselves, ultimately, what are we trying to accomplish? Because the purpose of an alchemy network is to make it easier for you to bring the right people into your, into your orbit, into your world so that they can begin to get some kind of results in a low low risk or you know but high value way for both sides and then many of them will be ready at some point to move up your product pyramid yeah yeah it makes sense so for example let's say for one of our businesses ltv plus or shortlist ltv plus sells mainly to saas and e-com businesses 
We do, I mean, that's an outsourcing, outstaffing business for customer experience. So we would basically build a network targeting e-commerce owners or SaaS business owners. Are you able to share roughly the range of sale? Like a new client for LTV is worth roughly, like, you know, between what and what? Say minimum two agents a month, which is like, you know, two grand per agent. So four grand a month minimum. Okay. This is one client, so, you know. And if they stay with you over several years, we're looking at, it's a high value sale, right? Yeah. Okay, depending great. on how you measure, but what you measure in stickers, but yes. So one way there's, there are really three types of members that you could have in your Alchemy network. Number one would be colleagues. That would be like JVMM is it's people you know, my colleagues, which is you and others like us uh, around the world who market and sell to small business, entrepreneur, consultant, expert, you know, SaaS and so on. And we market and sell to those audiences. So as colleagues, we recognize that we all gain by introducing others to our audiences and vice versa. Okay. Mm -hmm. We can go into that concept more if, if you feel we should. So the, the first group is colleagues. And, you know, the big idea there is really is expanding the pie for everybody. The second possible membership is a network comprised of your ideal clients when you see colleagues is like you know people that are i guess potentially also competing with you yeah business they, they could be competing is, with you is it maybe. also like maybe maybe people in the same industry let's say right. you know potential partners that you know potential partners of, of ours both it's both mm -hmm. and, and if you look around the jvmm a lot of us are competitors right we're yeah. all competing most of us in some way but we're also cooperating because mm -hmm. I know that there are more people on my email list who will never buy from me, but they're there for a reason. They're looking for something. They're looking for somebody. And that might be you. It might be the other one, third, you know, it's another member, right? And therefore, if we collaborate and we share, you know, you're having me on your podcast, right? If I send out maybe an email to my audience or interview you on my Facebook page or whatever it might be, right? I don't yet have a podcast. so. What we're doing is we're really expanding the pie for each of us and what we're serving our respective audiences because there are people in my audience who may, might be looking for you mm. and, you're, and people in your audiences who might be looking for me and they just don't realize it. But once they hear the other, it clicks. Yeah, we could be, in your case, I don't know that we're directly competing, but there are, there are people that I've promoted who we are directly competing and vice versa. So we have to, when you recognize that, and this is probably an influence that Jay Abraham had at me 20 years ago when I was uh, studying his material. He talked about this, and it's not something that a lot of people naturally gravitate towards. But the, the simple truth is that competitors have a lot to gain by cooperating. That also touches on an important point, which is that an alchemy network is not a networking group like BNI. It's not what it's about. It's not where, where everybody comes in and then, you know, you so pass B around. So BNI stands for? A business Networks International or Networking okay. International. I don't know. It's it's very, they've got thousands of groups around the world, been around for decades. And it's really good for certain types of businesses in certain stages. But it's not, I'm not talking about just taking a BNI group online. It's not it at all. Over there, it's very structured and they track referrals and everybody's got to have, uh, over here, and the way I approach it is much, uh, much more fluid because the goal is a little bit different or very different. So that's, um, yes, competitors are an asset. Well, okay, so first group, so in design, we stand design part. So you pick from, you know, potential. Colleagues. Who's your focus audience? Either colleagues and partners or the others? Colleague, yeah, the other option is ideal clients. And mm -hmm. the third option is recommenders. So sometimes, you know, I have a client who is building a network for recommenders because his ideal client is 
the decision maker at the top of a half billion dollar to billion dollar plus company, you know, the CEO mm. or head of operations or or the head of uh, you know new product development or innovation, because he helped really large companies, manufacturing companies of one kind or another, when their new product development is getting snagged and stuck, and he comes in and a new a new client for him is worth two hundred thousand dollars up to low seven figures. The thing is that it's really difficult to get the CEO of such a company to join your network. I mean, they've got mm. plenty of busy. demands on yeah. their time. An opportunity, yeah. How, however, he, you know, we realized together that there's a, the R&D director is a level or two down, but absolutely has a, a stake at solving the problems that he can help solve. And if he could get his foot in the door through the R&D directors, help them with, you know, maybe sometimes uh, just through the network, sometimes by a small project where they, you know, fits within their budget, that's his foot into the door to being then sent elsewhere in the organization for one of his larger projects. So he has a network of R&D directors. Like recommenders slash influencers, I guess, right? When I say recommender, what I mean in this case, in this context, is that, uh, yeah, influencers, somebody who may not fully be the decision maker themselves, they have influence over the decision maker. Makes sense. Now, now I'll make another point is that if you imagine the typical marketing and sales funnel where you're attracting leads and then those leads will enter your ecosystem and however you want to communicate with them and then until they bubble out the other side, bubble up. If you're forming an alchemy network comprised of colleagues, then we're talking about a strategy that you're implementing at the top of your funnel. That's at the mouth of your funnel because it's bringing people into your funnel. You know, bringing new people in. If you're talking about an alchemy network comprised of ideal clients or recommenders, then you're talking about a network or a strategy that's in the middle of your funnel. Because mm-hmm. these are people that they are potential clients. They are they've heard about you, or even if you reach out to them directly about this, now you're you know these are the people that you want to bubble out on the other side. It's a bit of a different approach. It's a bit of a different structure and, and approach, but they're both very well, great I, ways I, I to leverage. I personally always like to work with influencers or multipliers because if you work with, if you target only customers, then it's like kind of like hunting, you know, you shoot, shoot one animal versus the other one is like farming. It's kind of the gift that keeps on giving because you have this, you know, this, this multiplier in the network. Cool. So we kind of figured out like who, who should we invite in the design part? How does the offering look? Should we, should we just connect it back to your company and what you were, you were asking about? Yeah, sure. Uh, L3 plus, yeah. Right, so LTV, LTV Plus, so you have an option where you could be forming a network that is directly comprised of the decision makers, the people who would decide to hire your company. Or if there are, let's say, colleagues who market to those people, like you said, the you know influencers, and maybe you want to form a network of colleagues. They're both options. In the design phase, we would look at the pros and cons of each and then you know, kind of draft what each one would look like and make a decision. In theory, you could do both, but I would certainly not recommend starting both at the same time. Yeah, I, th- I think what would make sense is kind of like to have a network of people who are also selling to e-commerce, for example. You know, so we can kind of like help each other cross-promote, learn kind of what's, you know, what's, what's going well, what's not going well. And I think that's probably like the, the best, best way of, of going about this. Interesting. Yeah, definitely. Cool. And then what, what's, what's the offering? We get together on a regular basis. We have a forum, kind of like, you know, what, how does your ideal blueprint offering look for? A typical offering is a combination of uh, what I generally would recommend an email-based forum as opposed to Facebook group or LinkedIn group or, or even a Slack group. Although I'm sure that there are 
exceptions where any one of those would be the right answer. I generally don't think it's the best, any of them, because we are looking for more of an intimate feeling for people. There's a good chance that either your ideal clients, if they're on Facebook and active, they're probably in too many groups or they don't want to be in any groups, right? Or they don't have to be there. Everybody is in email and email has a certain spam aside, right? And all the newsletters we get, but if, if we're getting emails in our inbox, there's certain intimacy, that's what I just slipped off my mind, an email that really doesn't exist in a lot of other formats. It also does allow for topics and threads and so on. Uh, with one of the, you know, I'm not just talking about simple email, I'm talking about a, you know, like, like a Google group type thing. Mm-hmm. Which, which works re- really well. Sometimes they, you get a lot of emails, but in general, it, it, it works well. Something, you know, side note, I think SMS is making a revival. So text message is making a big revival because the engagement rates are crazy. Like 90 some percent of people um, look at this SMS ticket within the first three minutes or something like this. So we're going to have like a high engagement. So this would be in potentially something as well. But okay, so you have this form of communicating yeah. and then... So we have email and then also generally once a month, maybe more often, we're going to have my 60 or 90 minutes zoom call with an agenda it's not just a let's get on you know get on and hang out again people are busy and they, they need they need to know that i'm showing up and, and i'm it's gonna be worthwhile and how do you make sure it's worthwhile have, well i mean you're never going to satisfy everybody all the time but one thing you need to do is as the leader of the network one of the one of the leverage points is that you get you're in conversation with people one-to-one on a regular basis so if you're forming a network of ideal clients the very fact that they've made a micro commitment by joining your network and a modest annual investment, when you reach out to this person and you say, hey, let's get on a quick call for 10, 15 minutes so I can find out what you're focused on because that will help me direct the conversations in the network in a way that's valuable for you, you're going to hear things that they care about. And then when you start to hear from a few different people, you, you notice patterns and those are the things that you can direct conversation to. Of course, also, if you're leading the conversation and sparking conversation, then you'll see what people are talking about, what they care about. That's how you form a very simple agenda, which is, inter- you know, it's participative. I don't decide on my own usually what the full agenda will be. You know, some often I'll come across something that based on what I'm hearing from members, I know that there's a big percentage of people who will actually care about it. That's what I'll put on the agenda, always leaving part of the time open for anybody who wants to you know, add something. And four minutes usually, you mentioned twice a month and then like an hour-long call or two-hour-long call. What's What works the best in your experience? And also how large does this vary on, on the, the group size or? I think it depends on the group size. You know, uh, it's 60 to 90 minutes uh, is what I usually recommend. We do, you know, once or twice a month, like I said. It depends on the group size. I also think that it could depend on, on the type. You know, for example, it could depend on what you do. You know, it could be up to two hours. You know, once or twice a month. I think it, I think it's very much dependent on what you're doing, how you're going about it. This is part of the design. We look at this and figure out okay, what makes the most sense for you to start. It's also the kind of thing that's that's very easy to change. I mean, you could have hmm. more meetings, you can have longer meetings. It's uh, I mean, it's really my main thing. I, I approach this really in everything else, not as if like, oh, I've discovered the single best way to do this. Hmm. I don't believe yeah. that there really is a single best way to do almost anything. I believe that if we you know, understand timeless principles, and it probably is little older than bringing groups of people together who have commonalities and, uh, and similar aspirations and values, there's really nothing new about the idea of bringing people together. It's just that you know I've kind of you know, discovered a, a rather nuanced uh, approach that's really valuable and effective for specific purposes. So how long and how often these are the kinds of things that 
You'll figure out yourself, yeah. Yeah, we look to figure out what are the, what are the, what are we trying to accomplish. When we understand that, we say, well, if that's the case, then this is probably what makes most sense for you, at least for stage one. But also, like you have in JVMM, you have the, what's it called? Weak tie explosion? Yeah. That, so the yeah. weak tie explosion calls, yeah, that's that's another thing that, that we do. As the network grows, you know, you come to realize that, like you said, not everybody knows everybody else. Even I don't really know everybody as well as I'd like to. I don't. It's something that I need to continuously work on. But there's research from the 70s, I think, about the power of weak ties in the network. And the idea is that it's very often the person who you don't know that well who will turn out to be the, the person in your network who brings you a really valuable opportunity. So let's say someone's looking for a job or looking for an investor and they stumble across it, you know, they happen to meet somebody uh, in an, you know, uh, waiting for a flight who they last saw five years ago and they strike up a conversation and, and that person is the one who introduces you to the investor who ends up, you know, investing with your business, right? Or helping you get that job. That's a weak tie. But if you, if you don't know the person or you're never in contact with them or you don't meet them at the airport, it's not going to happen. So as part of what we're doing is like, you know, we're curating a network of, you know, really the right people. And, and of course, different networks will have a different definition of that. I realize that everybody's busy and there's always something else that's urgent. We started a kind of speed dating within the network. So within the network, it's uh, anybody can schedule a weak tie explosion call for about an hour, 90 minutes. And um, the idea is to get four, five, six people on together and spend about 10 minutes getting to know each person. That helps you figure out which one, two, or three people from this group should I spend more time with because we have opportunities that we should be looking at. It's also a great thing is that because you don't facilitate those, it kind of happens by themselves. So it's a way of providing value to your network without spending your your, your time on this. Yeah, because you know, it's really, when I was thinking about this, how to solve the problem of realizing that if you talk to one person a week, it could still take you two, three years to get through everybody in the network. And as the network grows, that'll be longer, right? How do we do that? And then I was thinking like, wow, I can't do all these. I can't be on all these. Again, th there's a very modest membership. It's not something, it's really just enough so that I know people want to be there. It's, a, it's meant to be a lever for, you know, that feeds the real business, right? It could be a nice revenue stream, but it's not like everybody's paying so much that I'm going to be on, you know, <laughs> that's not what it is. So you have to be leveraged. And I realized, well, I could just provide the process for this and then anybody can schedule one and run it. And we've got some great feedback. So yeah, I, I really I enjoy created, those. Yeah, I created the system and I created some, you know, a seven minute training video on how to do it and, and some templates and systems and, you know, people do them. We, we tend to have, you know, between one and three a month, I think. And it's something that I'm looking to encourage more of. So if you can, can like do some, some bullet point rundown again, on the design phase, you know, so first you pick who it's for, then you set up, you know, bi-monthly or, or monthly calls, maybe weak tie explosions where you have like encourage members to do their one-on-one -on -one get together. Right. You also have a directory of uh, where everybody adds their, their contact information, kind of what they do, which also helps to, you know, for the weak tie explosion to, you know, figure out who you, who you want to get, get together with. You, come, you have conversations via by email, by Google Groups is an easy way of doing it, but you can also probably do it via Facebook group or whatever is to your liking or what you think is the best for your audience. Anything or else? Nokia SMS, maybe. Nokia SMS? Yeah. <laughs> Playing Snake? That's Snake. right. <laughs> Are there still Nokia phones? I don't even know. Are they still around? I, th I think so. Not, not entirely sure. They might be. 
there is one thing that we missed and it's important. It's called the big idea. There's got to be a, you know, it comes together with the ideal member. So who's the ideal member and what's the big idea that would lead them to want to participate? And that's something that we need to define. It's something we need to think about and, and articulate in a way that is at the right level. Because let's say, again, you were looking to talk to, uh, let, let's say you were looking to attract SaaS founders. Let's say that was your, your target, the ideal client. So let me split this, right? When you have a network at the top of the funnel where you're really forming a network of colleagues, the big idea is pretty simple. We're getting together because we have an over, a common interest, an overlapping interest in expanding the pie for each of us, like we talked about earlier. So it doesn't have to be much more than that. When you're forming a network for ideal clients, it's a little bit more, it's a little more, it is a little bit more important to figure out what's the big idea because these are the people that I want. And these, these are the reasons why they would want to join and participate. If you pick an idea that's too high up, let's say two thirty thousand foot level, then they're not going to see the connection to their day-to-day. If you pick something that's too narrowly focused and too far, you know, close to the ground, then they're not going to see it as significant enough in the role that, you know, let's say if it's a business owner, then, and you, and you have a network that's focused only on, I don't know, outsourcing and team building, they're going to see that as a, a small part of their responsibilities. What you want is to figure out what's the right level so that my ideal members realize that I'm now curating people like them who are on the same path as they are, the same challenges, and this is a group that they would want to be participating in on a regular basis. Does that make sense? Yes. And so the easiest thing I could see is just peer learning to learn from your peers. Okay. Well, the thing is that there are a lot of opportunities for peer learning for just about anybody. So, which brings up another question. There is some strategy and thought that has to go into this, right? So, because it's also why curation matters. And that goes to a question people have, which is, well, there are so many groups out there. Why would someone want to join mine? And to answer that, I remember back before I started JBMM, I was uh, looking to shift my focus from doing uh, more corporate consulting projects to working with small business entrepreneur, consultant, expert coaching. And I was working remotely for the most part and looking for like, where am I going to find people who are marketing and selling to these people? Uh, at the time, it was all teleseminars before webinars were big. Where am I going to find people who are direct marketing savvy, marketing to these audiences? And they're looking to take the long-term perspective, long-term relationship, both with their partners and with their subscribers. So I joined a number of different online forums, online communities, and each one was different. Each one was a different you know, shade and color of the rainbow, very much influenced by the leader. And I was mm-hmm. struck by that. It's just so interesting how the conversations were different, the way people conducted themselves were different, what they talked about was different and how they talked about it. It was so interesting to me. I didn't find any of those to really be what I was looking for. And that's what led me to start my own little network. And that grew and grew over the years in many ways. But what that did teach me was, look, we're not looking to build an, a network of thousands of people. What we're looking to build is a network of somewhere between probably 50 and 200 people. And there are 50 to 200 people out there who are looking to be in your network. And that's something that they cannot get anywhere else. Nowhere else. You know, I mean, we're all in multiple networks. I'm sure you're in JVM, but I imagine you're in other networks as well, right? Yep. And they're all yeah, different, aren't they? Yeah. yeah and it's absolutely. still worthwhile, right? I mean, you still participate in one way or another in, in each one. I'm sure at some point you hit your ceiling, like, okay, that's it. I can't be in anymore. But um, 
But that's, yeah, that's especially that's in these days where you don't go to conferences, etc. You know, like it's a really good good way of connecting with yeah, alchemy network like-minded individuals. Is yeah. Completely virtual. I've been running mine completely virtual for ten years, so long before COVID. Any other things we should kind of put into the design part? Yeah, I think we covered a lot of it. I mean, there's always more, but uh, that, that's a lot. To the launch part, yeah, so then how, how do you launch it? Launch. The hardest part for most people is getting those first five to 12 members. And that's, you know, when I'm working with somebody and consulting them on this, is my goal and guarantee is we're going to get you to that first, you know, eight to 12 members and your first ten dollars to $15,000 in revenue from this because that's my guarantee. That's how I work with them. Because I want to get them past that opening phase to a point where they could then start to build on momentum. So the hardest part is getting those first handful of members. Having said that, if you do have an existing client base, the first place to go is your existing client base because your network becomes a place for them to connect with each other, get to know each other. After that, then we start to look around and say, you know, different people are going to have different, different methods that they've already used to meet people. We will always look to build on what has worked for you in the past before coming up with new things. And then the plan will be, depending on who it is, the plan will be to be adding anywhere from three to five, maybe seven or eight new members a month. More, if they can, really depends. Again, we're working to figure out what's what makes sense for you. At the same time, you're not looking to add like, you know, 30 or 50 people at a time, usually, because you're building a culture. Mm, it has to grow organically, yeah. There is a value growing organically when you're building culture. We have doubled, you know, JVM has doubled in the last year, more than doubled, really. That's almost every single new member has been nominated by an existing member where they say, hey, Mm -hmm. Dove, I know this and this person. I think that, you know, they're looking for a good community where they can be part of and do joint ventures and cross promotions with the right people. And the right people matter so much for these things. And so I told them about JVM and they really, they're really interested you know, have a look at what they're doing and let me know if you want an introduction. And I'll have a look at what they're doing. And if it seems like it's a good fit, I'll ask for an introduction. And if we both like it, then we'll um, we'll end up in it, you know, joining us. That's usually how it goes. So as you grow, you want to make it easy for people to continue to nominate and bring others to you. And then the process, you know, first you go to your launch process. First you go to your audience to see if you can, you know, attract people from there. Then you always screen them, I guess. You have a screening call with everybody to see if they're the right fit and kind of like prep them for, for what's coming. And then you you schedule your calls. Launch process is usually we're going to look at it, you know, we're I'm going to look at it with a client and we're going to map out, let's say over four to six weeks, we're going to break it down into a, a schedule. So, you know, what's your launch schedule, right? What are we aiming to, to achieve by when? And how does uh, a typical launch schedule look? Four to six weeks is that is usually a, enough to get started. And what happens is, is that you then want to say, like, you pick a, a launch date. So we want to enroll the first members before the formal launch day. By the formal launch day, you want to have people in. And if they're paying an annual fee to be a member, then you want them to pay you in advance, but you let them know that their year will start on the launch day. Does it make sense to have a few like freebies to kind of like have some, you know, to get the ball rolling. Sometimes. So you can already say like yeah. XYZ person's already in there, you know, kind of like have like some anchor person Sometimes, that yes. attracts others. Yeah. And that's also that, you know, we look at this from a perspective of, you know, again, going back to design, what is the business that you're looking to build and how does this fit in? You know, I was talking to a client yesterday and I said, you know, look, your first five to 12 members will come from your clients and you may just give them that as a bonus because they're there. Mm-hmm. It would be valuable for them and valuable for you. 
yeah, just to give them that as a bonus and let them know that that when they stop working with you actively, they can continue for whatever it is annually, very that modest annual fee, whatever you decide on. In those cases, it definitely makes sense. In some cases, in some other cases, it can make sense as well. You know, we have a whole at least half a dozen different pricing options or for the getting started phase for sure. Anything else in the launch it category or? Well, there's messaging and there's, there's always more. There's crafting the messaging and getting the various different tools you're going to use. You know, I think it's important to have kind of an invitation that's really look kind of sales letter that lays out what the big idea is and who it's for and why. You know, what are some of the values or aspirations that the others in, in the network have? Because people want to be with certain kinds of people like them. And as you get your first members in there, you want to have anonymous profiles, meaning like you can have like, this is who they are. I wouldn't put up a public list of all my members. We have some really well-known, good people in the network. I do have some great videos from some of the members about the network, but I, I don't see any benefit in really making the whole list public. You know, that's also something to think about on an individual mm -hmm. basis. But I think that there's some benefit in some names, but not everybody. But if you describe the kind of person and the situation that they're in and you know, what they're contributing to the network, it just helps potential member realize that this is for people like me or this is not for people like me, right? Depending on how you're going to reach out to them, you want to have simple messaging that's clear. And, you know, whether if you're, if it's an email you're sending, whether it's uh, something that's cold or warm or to an existing client, a lot of this work is as much for helping my client make sure that, helping me to make sure that my client is clear in describing what they're doing because a lot of them, in a sense, you're forming something that doesn't exist. So you're selling something that doesn't exist. And it's natural and normal to be doubtful, to have questions like, you know, because, all right, I know I want to do this. I know this makes a lot of sense, but I need somebody to say yes, right? There's that chicken and egg thing. By crafting the messaging with them, it builds their confidence and their clarity about what they're selling. And that helps them move forward faster and more effectively. In terms of leading best practices, what are the key things to consider? I guess like being a really good facilitator for these calls is the key thing about leading. The calls are an important part, but it's really not everything. You know, I think that, that what matters more most for most clients is, for most members, is conversations. It's really that they're having conversations with people who understand the journey that they're on and give them a different perspective. A lot of times, you know, we're all good at what we do and we can solve hairy, big problems, difficult problems for other people. But sometimes we get stuck on that very same type of problem for ourselves. We just can't see it. You agree with that? Or is that just my, my experience? What we need to be able to do is when, when you're in conversations with like-minded people, you feel like you're part of a community. So I really think that leadership, at least the way you know, of the network is as much as possible, it's about curation and it's about doing things to make it easy for people to have conversations with other members who they really would benefit from talking to. I've introduced you personally to a few different members just to make sure that it can get started and talk to people. That was, I don't know, what, six months ago? And from time to time, I, I want to make sure, you know, I think I might have introduced you to someone recently. I keep track of it for the most part. I miss some introductions that I make, but I just try to keep some notes on, on my interactions with each member because it really helps me just know, you know where they're up to, what to ask mm -hmm. about. And yeah, it makes a lot of sense to make sure that people get immediate value out of it and kind of like get the ball rolling, kind of getting into the habit of using to a network. And yeah, this makes all sense. And thank you very much for the introductions. I really appreciate them. I also have an onboarding. You know, what I, th I think it was like 365 days of onboarding. And this is an email sequence that just goes out to members that it's really just directs them to the teeny tiny step that they could take that will 
you know, give them a, you know, a 10 to 50 times ROI on their whole annual investment. Mm -hmm. I know that not everyone is going to do everything, but I want people to know that there is always a small next step that you can do inside my network that's going to really give you a big return. And, you know, so we have that dripping out over time. You know, we're adding to it. I want to get to where we have a full year or even longer so that, you know, people are continuously educated and reminded about what they're in there, why they're there, and the small things that they could do to really to really get what they wanted to begin with. That's another thing, you know, 365 days of onboarding. There's uh, listening. We talked about that earlier. Listening, you want to really want to understand what issues matter to people in the networks that you can direct them to people who are a good fit in conversations. Conversations are, you know, one-to-one. They're on the email conversations or you know, whatever format you want to use, whatever platform. And they happen in the, the calls, monthly calls and the uh, week to explosion calls and, and so on. There's another thing, another aspect of leadership, which is, not accepting the wrong people. And this is a tricky one. I mentioned earlier that a few months back, I turned away somebody who was probably worth about, I'm estimating about $100 million because about 12 years ago, he had sold a company for about $330 million. Let's assume you've sold a company. So, I mean, you know better than I do. Let's assume that he had some investors and, and then there's the IRS who definitely took their cut. So maybe he ended up with 50. And then over 12 years, there's a decent chance he was able to invest that and grow it back up to close to 100 maybe. And he recently got into various, some kind of mentoring, somehow we, you know, someone introduced us and we were talking and it was going really well. Went to get his credit card and he was holding it out and he was starting to fill in the form that sent him a link because uh, that's how I just do it. I want, I want to be sure that they really want to join. At the last minute, when I had another call coming into my Zoom with like you know, 90 seconds to go, he said to me, so will you promote me to your list? And I said, probably not thinking anything of it, just really focused on that I had 90, 90 seconds left. And then he said, probably, why only probably? And I suddenly realized that his whole energy has changed. And I said, well, what do you mean? We had, we ran out of time. He emailed me afterwards, basically saying, look, you know, I mean, if I'm paying this for it to be part of your member, and by the way, it, as you know, it's not a large amount of money at all. It's very, very modest. And you're not willing to commit that you would email to your list, then like, how should I believe? Like, how, like, you know, essentially he was saying, prove to me that it's worth it, that it's really what you say. When I said probably, what I explained was that, I don't really, I haven't seen what it is that you would want me to promote, depend on the timing, depend on the content. It has to be a good fit. I don't just send out anything to just because I, you know, it has to be relationship that makes sense for my email subscribers. But he took that in a whole different way. And he, that was his email to me. And I replied, I said, look, you know, I curate this. I don't promise anything other than that if you and I agree that this is a fit for you, you will suddenly find yourself in a very large, high quality network. And now, then after that, your job will be to build relationships with people and look for overlapping interests and ways you can support each other. I can't do that for you. What I do is the curation and the leadership of the network to give you that opportunity. If that talks to you, great. If it doesn't talk to you, that's fine. You know, it's not for you. And we left it at that because I'm not going to try to convince somebody who doesn't really get what we're doing. We have people who are, you know, who their net worth is a fraction of his who get it and they're doing really well with it. So we have to be careful not to try to think that, oh, that celebrity type person or that whatever type person is, you know, I really want to get them in my network. My experience is you, there's a good chance you don't want to get them in your network. You're not looking for people who are going to dominate. You're looking for people who want to be there. And that, you know, leadership, you know, leadership is tricky. It's simple and it's also nuanced. So I think that that's a really important topic. Yeah, it's also, you know, people get out of what they put in, you know, kind of like being, being active, et cetera, and, and just coming in pay the fee, forcing you to, to spam everybody with their offering, then kind of leaving, I guess, you know, it's not, not really what this is meant yeah. to be. So it's, 
And then also there's, you know, people ask me sometimes, you know, what are the rules about this? You know, is, should I, is it okay if I send this out to everybody? And we're all marketers in our, in our network, right? In the JVMM, none of us are afraid of selling something or offering something. But still, there's a certain, you know, what Stephen Covey would call the emotional bank account, right? Mm-hmm. And another leadership example, another story from a few years back, we had a woman who was a, a member. She'd been kind of quiet for maybe a whole year, hadn't really participated. And she suddenly, one day she woke up and sent out an email to the whole group about a paid workshop that another member who'd been quiet was hosting. And I got a couple of emails like directly behind the scenes saying, hey, what was that? So I emailed her and said, hey, just letting you know, I got a little bit of feedback. And she said, well, yeah, I'm sorry. I really did mean to be more active. And I said, wait, let me just clarify. I'm not trying to tell you that you need to be more active. I think that everybody should come in here and be as active as they feel will fit their self-interest. Because the kind of activity that we want is people participating because they believe, they can see clearly that if I'm participating here, it will benefit me. Self-interested participation and contribution is great. That's, that's what really makes things go. So I'm not telling you that you should participate more. I'm just pointing you out that if you want to be able to send out this type of thing, you may also want to you know, find other ways of contributing. The more we go on, there's probably a lot of stories, but that's a subtle little example of where you have to step in sometimes in order to to really keep people in line. You know, I don't believe in having a lot of rules. Now you join a Facebook group and they've got all these long rules. Facebook group is different than what I'm talking about. We're talking about, again, curation and conversation. So when you're curating, and now I say, look, we don't have any rules. The only rule is to be the kind of person that you would really want to be spending, spending time with. Yeah, golden rule. That's the emotional you know, bank account is, is, is a good one. You know, kind of like put in, you know, give and take. Yeah, those are the only rules. And as long as people follow those rules, we don't have any trouble. And from time to time, you'll have to kick somebody out. Fortunately, in the last you know, year and a half, even more, I've, I've only had to kick one person out. Hmm. And uh, that's because we found out, uh, I heard a few stories over a couple of weeks that he was promoting things in, in a very big way, big promises, big pricing, and then not deliver it. And there's just no way that I could have somebody like that in my network, because if they're in the network, to some degree, there's an implied endorsement. And if I couldn't tell a good friend or a family member, hey, you should work with so-and-so, or yeah, you give your money to so-and-so for what he promises, I cannot have them in the network. Yeah, and uh, interestingly, when I did kick that person out, I got some emails from people saying, I'm surprised he lasted here that long. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, we had issues with him six years ago on this, you know, and this and that. I said, mm. why did you tell me? Anyway, <laughs> so yeah. that was that. Yes, how you do one thing is how you do everything. Yeah, it's always my filter to see how people are acting and then, you know, kind of like know how they will act in other situations. Yeah. Cool. So leading it, now leverage. Leverage slash monetize. I guess one monetization form is, of course, you know, you charge for it. What other ways of, of monetizing ultimately, do we have? Ultimately, there's, uh, we're looking for to feed your core business, right? Leverage, monetizing. This is simple systems for staying connected with the other members, simple processes and leading them to opportunities. So if it's colleagues, it's, it's consistently having conversations with people who are in a position to, to support what you're doing and you can support what they're doing and find ways of growing together. And you need to have the systems in place for that as well, the tools. Some of it people have regardless. But you know, I was talking to a member of JVMM just the other day, somebody that I'm pretty sure you know. You know he's done JVs with some major corporations. I mean, companies that we're all using their stuff. They promoted him to their users. And for whatever reason, when it came to the kinds of cross promotions that we're doing, there were a lot of key pieces that had never clicked in his head. He's running a very successful business. 
and just in a conversation the other day, so he got a simple, clear process. And over the last few days, he scheduled several promotions with other people in the network, including me. And like he got set up within 48 hours once he saw the path. And for me, it was a reminder about how it's so easy to assume that what's obvious to you is obvious to others. And it wasn't. This is, I mean, it's not a question of brains or ability. It's a question of just, he hadn't realized it. He hadn't been exposed to this method, the way we go about it. And the nuances are small. So it's really, it's about looking at your business goals and what are the simple systems or operational systems or processes that you can have in place where if your network is, is comprised of ideal clients, how do you educate them about the next steps they could take with you? How do you do it? When do you do it? What ways do you do it? And that's also, it's a largely, there's, you know, of course there's some core principles, but it's something that we look at and say, okay, what is, what, what are you trying to accomplish individually? And then let's work backwards from that and let's create as simple as possible a system. I really like this idea of, you know, I mean, JVM is like joint venture is kind of like in the name already of what you're doing, but I think this should be probably part of every mastermind that you help your audience, your members to leverage each other in the best possible way. And joint ventures or cross promotion is like probably the best, best way of doing this and giving them checklists, processes, whatever you can do to facilitate this more. That's a really good point. How do you charge, by the way, if you because, you know, people may be interested in setting up their own alchemy network and, you know, you can do this by yourself. But, you know, I'm, I'm always a big fan of using somebody's paying somebody who's been there, done that, because then you actually really get the, the value out of it. You know, I've been a good example. I've been working out for a very long time. I'm very consistent. So I've been going to the gym three times a week and nothing massively changed with my body. And then I started using a personal trainer and I had this crazy transformation in terms of strength, body shape, walking straight, no back problems, etc. So it really pays Your off to use somebody. Too. Yeah, yeah, that's true. COVID hair, don't care. I think it really makes sense to work with, with, with somebody who's been there, done that, because it's going to guarantee success, especially setting up something like this, where you, you know, kind of invite your clients in that are at your reputation. You just want to do a good job with it. So if people want to work with you, how do you process and how long is the process of doing this? I'm hesitant to drop specific numbers. This podcast could be around a while, right? But Currently, the, the process is there's, there's really three options. Number one is my under the radar leaders network, which is a network of people who are using my approaches or just taking my, my concepts, my trainings. And, and I'm there in conversations every day, helping people do it better. Above that, we have a small group option where I'm just leading a small group of people at a time over about three months, 90 days or so, taking them through step by step, the design, the launch, the leading and leveraging. There's also ops to work with you one-on-one. -on -one. So those are the just the basic, simple options. Even with this, you know, like I'm looking for people who I know will, it's not for everybody, but if somebody feels like, yeah, I don't want to be doing the tactics that everybody says you need to be doing. Most of my business does come from referral or somebody who heard me speak somewhere and then I need to stay in touch with them and one way or the other. And this would be a great way for me to keep in touch. It's far better than sending them, you know, just one-way emails. Just send us on Christmas cards, yeah. Or, <laughs> Exactly right. Or even, hey, I, I wanted, I thought about you when I got this book. Here's a free book. None of that really gives you the insight into what's going on in your client's world. The way if they commit, yeah, we're not ready to work with you, um, David, yet, but get back to me in six months. And you get back to them in five months, and they say, oh, David, I wish you would have gotten back to me last month. We just started with a competitor of yours. Mm -hmm. Well, if they had been in your alchemy network, it's much easier to, to stay in touch every, you know, you know, six to eight weeks. Say, let's get on a quick call for 10, 15 minutes, like I said earlier, so we can direct the conversation the way that's helpful. You find out that at three months that they're actually ready, not six months. So you get your foot in that door, get that contract at four months instead of losing it in month five. 
it's a fantastic way of leverage to the finger on the pulse. Yeah, that I think that it offers a lot to larger firms as well. So anybody who's talking to this, we did put up a free training. Can I, can I mention that? No, you did not mention this, but uh, please. Yeah, so at profitablerelationships.com profitable forward slash how we solve, right? This is the how we solve podcast. So we put up, there's a, a couple of short videos up there that uh, touch on some of what we've touched on because you really grilled me pretty thoroughly, but there's there's more. And over time, <laughs> I deliver more through our emails. And if anybody wants to get in touch with me, that's a good way to do it. Or dove, D-O-V, at profitablerelationships.com as well. And um, let me know if you heard me through David. Thank you very much. Thank you. Is your sales team spending too much time researching leads and accounts? We take over all the labor-intensive sales development tasks so your team can focus on building relationships and closing more deals. We don't just build lists. We take a strategic research-based approach to find your team qualified leads every day. Ready to start? Schedule your free consultation at taskdrive.com. That's T-A-S-K-D-R-I-V-E dot com. Thanks for listening to the How We Solve podcast. Dominate your market and crush the competition with our step-by-step playbooks. Subscribe right now in your favorite podcast player or visit howwesolve.com.